looking at uh, most of the chapter this morning, but we're only going to read one verse just for the sake of time. But then uh, we'll be studying a, a little bit about the chapter and then some of the uh, applications of how they apply uh, into our life uh, this morning. So 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse number 17 says, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Let me read that one more time. It says, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, because in it we find the strength, the power that we need to live each day. Father, in, in your word, we find not only instruction for our life, but reproof for our life. We find, uh, Father, the correction that we need and the teaching of your word that we need. And now as we dive into this uh, chapter this morning in your precious word, I pray that first of all, you would fill me with your spirit. May I be able to communicate the message that you have laid on my heart clearly. May it be something of a help and an encouragement to your people. But then, Father, I also pray that you would be with the hearts of those that are here listening to your word. For your word teaches us that there is a special blessing uh, just in hearing your word. And so I pray that our hearts would be receptive this morning, that we would hear your word and hear your voice speaking to us. But then I also ask that you would help us to apply your word, that your spirit would take the truth of your word, that it would apply it into our lives, and that, Father, by your spirit, we'd be able to live out the truth that uh, your word teaches. And, Father, I pray that you would just bless this time together. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's no life as free as the Christian life. It is freedom in its purest form. In fact, it really does not matter if you live in the United States of America, a country known for its freedom and liberty, or if you live in communist China today, no matter where you live and no matter where you're at in the world, you can live a life that is free. I mean, a life that is truly free. You know, sadly today, many people have a wrong idea of what it means to be free. They have an idea that, that says, well, being free means I can do whatever I want. I can say whatever I want. I can act however I want. And some people look at freedom in that light, but that's the wrong way to look at freedom. If you truly look at what freedom is, if you really look at what liberty is, it's not a license to do whatever you want. In fact, it's a license to do that which is good and that which is right. I don't know if you've ever met someone uh, that perhaps doesn't go to church and uh, isn't someone that has come to a saving knowledge of Christ. And, and when you tell them you're a Christian, sometimes they look at you and they feel bad for you. They have like this sympathy. And they have this idea in their mind that, oh, you're a Christian. That, that means you've got to live by all these rules and regulations. It must, be, it must be a really difficult, boring life. You have no freedom to choose what you want to do, and you can't live however you want. You know, that's such a terrible way to look at freedom. That's a terrible way to see what freedom in Christ truly is. And, and sometimes they view it as you're losing out on the experience of happiness. 
But I can tell you, anyone that has accepted Christ as their Savior, anyone that has the Spirit of God living in them, they know what true happiness is. They know what true joy is, and they never found it in the world before. They never found it in their job or in their money. They couldn't find it in uh, any, anything else that the world could offer, any experience that the world could give. But they did find it in Jesus Christ. You see, when you come to the saving knowledge of Christ, God gives you an inner freedom that the world can't even comprehend. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the Spirit of God is, there is liberty. I like what Peter Marshall once prayed in front of the U.S. Senate. He said, Lord Jesus, Thou who art the way, the truth, and the life, hear us as we pray for the truth that shall make all free. Teach us that liberty is not only to be loved, but also to be lived. Liberty is too precious a thing to be buried in books. It costs too much to be hoarded. Help us see that our liberty is not the right to do as we please, but the opportunity to do what is right. I think Peter Marshall had the right view of what liberty was. Though he might have been speaking about the liberty that we enjoy in this country, the same applies to the liberty that we enjoy in Jesus Christ. In fact, the idea of the liberty that we have in this country was because there was founding fathers that believed the truth of this word. There was founding fathers in our nation that believed that where the Spirit of God is, there is liberty. Now, in the passage this morning, as we study 2 Corinthians, let me give you a little bit of a background of what's going on. Paul here is writing to the church uh, of Corinth, and that's why the book is called 2 Corinthians. In fact, this was probably the third or fourth letter that he has, write. We have two, that he has written. We have two recorded in our Bibles. We have the one that we title 1 Corinthians, one letter that Paul wrote. And then we have the other letter called 2 Corinthians. But they weren't the only two letters Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. They're just the only two that the Holy Spirit inspired to be part of our Bible. Now, as Paul was writing to these uh, Corinthians, these believers, this church in Corinth, Paul was forced to kind of defend himself. And as you start in chapter number one there of 2 Corinthians, you'll see that Paul, of course, salutes those that he is writing, the church there in Corinth. But then the rest of chapter one and chapter two, he's kind of having to defend himself. You see, Paul was one that had worked in the church of Corinth. He used to be the pastor there. He was the one that would teach every Sunday and much of the doctrine and much of the people that accepted Christ as their savior there in the city of Corinth was a result of Paul preaching the word. It was a result of Paul working in the ministry. But you see, when Paul left, there were some others that tried to get into that church. There was others that were known as false teachers that came in and, and started to teach the people there in the church of Corinth things that were not true. Now, Paul had tried to get back to the city, but Paul shares with them in chapter 2 that though he wanted to be back with them and visit with them again, that the Holy Spirit had not allowed him and given him uh, the opportunity to go. And he said, I, I have not been able to be with you, but I'm planning to be with you. Now, the people that were there that did not like Paul, that despised what he was teaching, they were there and they were saying, you know what, uh, church at Corinth, Paul hasn't come to visit you. You know why? Because he really doesn't care about you. You know why? Because he's a coward. Uh, you know why? Because he has nothing to respond to our teaching. He can't really say that what we're teaching is wrong, so he doesn't want to come. And, and Paul is writing to them, and he says, that's not the case. 
It isn't that I don't want to be with you, and it isn't that I have nothing to say about what they're teaching you. It's just the fact that God has not let me have the opportunity to go back. But he said, but I'm writing this letter because I can say some things to you that will help you during this time. And he begins to explain what these false teachers were teaching and why it was wrong. And in chapter 3, he begins to explain a little bit of that. You see, these false teachers uh, were teaching a, a system of religion that we, we kind of know as uh, Judaism. But really, Judaism is, is nothing more than a religious system, a false religious system that teaches that if you can do enough good, if you can do enough good things and enough good works, then God will accept you. Then God will save you. Then God will take you with him. And and they said, you know, church at Corinth, if you just begin to apply the Ten Commandments in your life, if, in other words, if you just become a good person by what you do, then God will be pleased with you. But what they were really doing is that they were getting the people back in bondage under the law. The law is known as the first five books of the Bible. And of course, we know the law. Sometimes we think of them as the Ten Commandments. And in fact, all the commandments in the Bible, the Bible says can all be traced back to these Ten Commandments. And Paul says, listen, when you go back into the law, you'll find that the law only has power to keep you in bondage. Paul says, what these teachers are telling you is, if you can just do enough right, God will be pleased with you. But you see, the, the, uh, uh, the fact of the matter is that the law uh, does not have that power. The, the law does not have the power to make you please God. Look in verse number six, if you would, what he says. He says, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, that means of the law, but of the spirit. For the letter killeth, or the law killeth, but the spirit giveth life. Paul was telling them, let me tell you something about what the law does in your life. When you submit to just living the law, living a life that is religious, that says, I got to do these works so God will love me in order for God to save me, then he says, you become a bond a slave, a bondman, or a slave to the law. And he says, I want to give you something that is way better than the law. He said, I want to talk to you about the Spirit of God. And from then on there, from verse 7 all the way to the end of the chapter, he begins to contrast what the difference is of living in the Spirit of the law and living under the Spirit of God. He begins to contrast what was different. Now, You'll notice there in verse number 7 and 8 and 9, he begins to refer to a story in the Old Testament in Exodus, chapter 34. And we don't have time to read it, so I'm going to summarize it for you. In Exodus chapter 34, it's the time when uh, God was going to speak to Moses. I'm sorry, in Exodus 29. And, 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 and God was going to give to Moses the uh, Ten Commandments. And if you remember, uh, God told Moses, I want you to climb to the top of Mount Sinai and I'm going to meet you there. And the Bible says that God, with his own finger on a stone of tablets, began to write what we know as the Ten Commandments. After Moses came down from uh, that mountain being with God, uh, the Bible says that his face shone so brightly that the people could not steadfastly look at him. They couldn't keep their eyes on him. So what Moses had to do was he had to put a veil over his face. That way, the people did not have to steadfastly look at him. Now, 
Paul reminds the Christians at Corinth, those uh, people there would have been very familiar with that story. They would have remembered that that's how it happened when God gave the law or gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And they would have remembered that the Bible teaches that Moses would have covered his his face with a veil. And he says, now, why do you think that Moses put a veil over his face? Now, most of the people there at the church of Corinth would have said, oh, he put it over his face because they couldn't look at it. It was too bright. The glory of of God's uh, uh, law was on his face and it was too much for them to handle. And Paul said, maybe that's true. But he said, but that's not the real reason why Moses had the veil on. The real reason that Moses had the veil on was because of this. Though the law is glorious, though the law is perfect righteousness, the law teaches you and me uh, that uh, if you are honest per- an honest person, then you're doing right. The law teaches us that if uh, we love one another, then we are doing right. If we do good to one another, then we're doing okay. That's, that's what the law teaches. It teaches us what is right, and it also teaches us what is wrong. There are laws there in uh, the Ten Commandments that tell us if we don't honor our father and mother, we're not doing what is right. There's laws that say if you lie, you're not doing what is right. There's a law that says if you steal, you're not doing what is right. See, the law has that power to show us what is righteous and to show us what is wrong. And that's awesome. It's glorious to think about that. And, And Moses, when he received this, listen, nobody on earth had had that before. Before the law came, you know how man was ruled? By our conscience. At that point in time, before Moses came with the law, there was this conscience and people had something inside them that would tell them, hey, this isn't right. I shouldn't have done that. But you know what happened? The Bible says because of sin, our consciences become seared. You know what seared is? It means it has no feeling. It's like when you, when you burn your hand and then there's a burn there and there's that scab that, that grows on that. And when you touch the scab, you don't feel anything. That, that means it's being seared. And, and, and the Bible teaches, you know what? In that time of conscience, so many people, because of their sin, got seared. No, suddenly, they didn't feel bad for what they were doing that was wrong. So God says, I have to have a solution for that. And God gave the law and he gave it to Moses and it was great. It was awesome. It was beautiful. But you know what it was? It was fading. It was something that wasn't going to be permanent. It was something that was going to be temporary. And the reason that Paul says that Moses had to put a veil on his face, it was to show the people or to hide from the people, I should say, that that glory of the law was going to be fading. You know, Moses didn't wear the veil for the rest of his life. There was a time after being away and off the mountain of Mount Sinai that that glory on his face began to fade away. And Paul teaches those in Corinth here in this chapter, he says, let me tell you something. When you live under the law and you start thinking that the law is going to be what God is going to accept you by, you're going to find that that's going to fade. You know what you're going to find, he says, when you try to live the law, you know what you're going to find? That you can't. You're going to find that it is impossible because you see, all that the law can do is condemn you. 
The law cannot liberate anyone. It doesn't give anyone freedom. All it does is condemn. He said, but then there is a New Testament. There is a new law, he says, that I want to give you and I want to tell you about, and that is the Spirit of God. When someone lives not under the Spirit of the law, but under the Spirit of God, now you're receiving something that isn't temporary. You're, fine. you're receiving something that is eternal. You're, you're going to receive something that will not fade away. No matter what, no matter uh, with the passing of time, uh, no matter with what happens in your circumstances, no matter what, that is something that is eternal, something that is even more glorious. Paul says the lesser has to fade away for the one that is better. I heard someone give an illustration about that to sort of just get a good idea in our mind, but uh, he said, have you ever seen a, a full moon when it's at its brightest? That's happened to me a couple times, and I'll go to the backyard, I'll forget that I didn't turn on the, uh, the back uh, light porch, and, and, um, or the porch light, I should say, and uh, you go out there, and the, and the moon, when it's like in, in the full moon, and it's at its brightest, man, it lights up the whole yard. In fact, I, I don't even need to turn on the porch light. I can see everything. I can see where the dog's at. I can see where everything's at in the yard. It's, it's pretty bright. But you know that about 12 hours later, when the sun comes out, it makes it a whole lot brighter and a whole lot clearer than the moon on the brightest night that the moon is shining. The moon, though it's shining bright, you, you see some things, but you don't see it the same way as when the sun is out, do you? In fact, have you ever seen the moon in the sky, sometimes in, in the day, like at 8 o'clock in the morning, sometimes it's up there in the blue sky, you can see the moon, but the moon's not giving any light. <laughs> What's lighting up the sky isn't the moon that's up there, it's the sun that is up there. You see, because the moon is a lesser light, the sun is a much stronger light. And Paul says, listen, when you live by the Spirit of God, that's a stronger thing, a better thing than living by the Spirit of the law. Now, what happens when we live by the Spirit of God? What is the freedom that we find? Because Paul said, you see, church at Corinth, you've got to understand something. Where the Spirit of God is, there is liberty. The law condemns, but the Spirit giveth life. How is it that that happens? Well, I want to share with you three areas in which absolutely, or absolute liberty can be had in the life of a person that lives by the Spirit of God. I want you to notice, first of all, in your notes, that a person that is living by the Spirit of God understands this truth and has this truth as a reality in their experience that they are free from sin. You see, the first area that we experience freedom is in the area of sin being in our lives. You see, sin is a slave master. The Bible says, he who committeth sin is a slave to sin. Uh, the moment that you do something wrong, anything wrong, commit any sin, no matter how small you think it might be, even if you think that was a little white lie, it wasn't a big lie, it was just a little white lie. The moment you do that, you become a slave to sin. You see, sin has that power. It's a slave master. And it'll keep us in bondage to do its will and suffer its fate while it works in our lives. That's why death eventually comes to everyone because sin works in us in that way. But you know, when the Spirit of God enters our life, all that goes away. You're suddenly free, let me tell you something, from the curse of sin. 
You see, sin has a curse. The curse, the Bible says, is death. The curse is destruction. The curse is depression. The curse is uh, the result of someone uh, or, or, or of sin having its way in your life, and it will destroy your life. The consequences of sin are, are consequences that no one can escape. And one of the purposes of the law was to show us that we are not righteous in the slightest. You know, some people have a really hard time believing this truth. There are those that would teach that if you do enough good, there are some religions that perhaps you can think of that would say if you can just do enough good, God will accept you. But you know, that's not true. The reason is because nobody can do enough good. Because we cannot keep the law. In fact, James 2.19 says if you fail in the law in just one area, you're guilty of falling in every area. In other words, God says if you lie then you're guilty of murder as well. Yeah, but I didn't murder anyone. The Bible says if you just mess up in one law, you're guilty of all of them. And God says you're condemned and you're cursed because of that. In fact, people that have that mentality, what they say is, okay, well, if the law teaches us what is right, and you're saying we can't ever be perfect, then why did God give us the law? If we can't even live up to it, then why did God give it to us? It's a great question, but it's a question that is answered in Romans chapter 3, 19. It says, now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. You know what Paul says? He says, you know what the law was there for? To tell you, to help us realize, hey, we're not good enough. We can't do good enough things for God to be pleased with us. It's impossible. You see, the purpose of the law was to let us know just how sinful we are. You know, before the law, we thought, man, we're, we're, we're not the best people, but we're not as bad as, right? Sometimes we do this right in our nation. Oh, our nation's not the best, but at least we're not that country over there. We do that at our work. Hey, I'm not, I'm not the best worker, but I'm not as bad as that one over there. And you know what the law did for us? It clarified. You know how bad you are? God said, let me just tell you how bad you are. Okay, let me just show you what it means to be righteous. And suddenly you start looking at the law of God, and suddenly you realize, man, I'm not as good as I thought. In fact, I'm not even close to as good as I thought. In verse number 20 of Romans 3, Paul says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. <laughs> Paul said nobody can be justified by doing what is right because you can't keep what is right. You can't do it. You're going to fall. At one point or another, you're going to fall. You can't be justified by it. The law was just to give you the knowledge of how bad you were. But you know... That's when you try to live under the spirit of the law. But when you live under the spirit of God, all that changes. <laughs> you see, when you, when you have the spirit of God living in you, you're no longer condemned by the law. You see, the Bible says that Jesus Christ becomes our righteousness. He took what was our sin and turned it into righteousness. He paid the price that we could not pay. 
For he, God, hath made him to be sin, that's Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin. You see, the only person on this earth that ever walked this earth and kept the law in every way was the Lord Jesus Christ. But you see, God made him, Jesus, the only perfect 100% man on this earth to be sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God. In other words, Romans 10.4 puts it this way. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Paul says it like that. Very simple. You know how you become righteous? Not by doing what is good. The law kills you in that. But by the Spirit of God, you find that Christ brings you the righteousness that you could never gain for yourself. He brings it by simply believing in him. See, we should recognize and stand in the freedom that Christ has given us through his work on the cross. That's why Galatians 5.1 there in your notes says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. One of the things that the church at Corinth and the church at Galatia had in common was that people were trying to live under the law. And Paul said, don't do that. Don't try to live under the law thinking, oh, then, then God's going to really be pleased with me. No, he says, live by the power and in the spirit of God. See, there is where really freedom is found because it frees you from the curse of sin. Jesus took that curse for you. But let me tell you something else. Not only are you free from the curse of sin, but you're also free from sin's captivity. You're, you're free. See, the moment we are free from the curse of sin, the moment that finally we accept Christ as our Savior, we realize there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. You know what you find right after that? And some of you can remember the day uh, that you got saved. And you can, you can remember uh, the week after that, you begin to come into some knowledge that you didn't have before. You begin to realize there are some enemies that you had never fought before. There are three main enemies that you'll face. You'll face the devil who will tempt you. You'll face the world and its systems and philosophies. And you'll face the flesh. The flesh that is corrupted all the way through and through by sin. Suddenly now you don't have that, that curse of sin, but now there's that captivity of sin. You see, sin doesn't just want to condemn you. It wants to control you. And Christ said, listen, I, I'm here to tell you that by my spirit, by the spirit of God, where the spirit of God is, there is liberty. Listen, you're going to have freedom from the curse and the condemnation of sin, but you're going to have freedom from the control of sin as well. You see, by the Spirit of God, we don't have to do what the flesh tells us to do. We don't have to live our lives according to what the world says is a success. We don't have to fall into every temptation that the devil puts in our mind. You don't have to do that. The Spirit of God has given you freedom to get away from that. In fact, 1 John 4, 4, I think it's in your notes, it says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, them, the devil, the world, and the flesh. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You know what? First John in that whole letter, he's talking about, hey, there is freedom in Christ. There is liberty. There is joy. Listen, it's a life like you've never had before. Because you're not going to be under the condemnation of sin. You don't have to be under the control of sin. You know, I think the one that we battle with the most, personally, I think, is going to be your flesh. Man, your flesh is so strong. Your flesh is one that is there day and night. You know, I think there's times when 
the, Bible, uh, the, the devil might leave you alone for a little bit. And there's, there's times in your life where you'll find that the world isn't quite as attractive as it was. And, and, and suddenly you'll find yourself like, I'm not really too tempted by, by going for a job that has more money if it means leaving church or if it means leaving my wife or leaving my kids. I'm not really tempted by that. And, and maybe in that worldly system, you're not tempted by it. And, and maybe by the devil, you don't have all these temptations bombarding you. But there's something that you'll face every day from now to the end of your life, and that is battling your flesh. You'll always battle the flesh. It's something that is inside us that we're going to be battling all the time, all the time. In fact, Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other. This is something that you're going to battle all the time in your life. You'll battle it in your home. You'll, you'll battle it privately by yourself. You'll battle it at work. You'll battle it at the grocery store. You'll battle it every place that you go because it goes with you, that flesh. Uh, I, it's interesting to me, uh, someone uh, made this quote that was uh, in World War II, and they, they said this, and I, I thought it was so great because it applies so well. He said, the greatest enemy we face aboard our ships is not Japanese planes or Japanese submarines. The greatest enemy we face is rust. He says, today we scrape, tomorrow we paint, so the next day we can scrape again. He said, the enemy's planes and subs do not attack every day, but you see, rust never takes a day off. You know, sometimes it's important for us to understand the flesh never takes a day off. The devil might take a day off, and maybe the world system takes a day off, but let me tell you, the flesh is always going to be with you. The flesh is something that you're always going to battle. And God says, listen, I want you to know, you don't have to come under the control of your flesh. You can have liberty and freedom from it. You don't have to be enslaved to that. You see, where the Spirit of God is, there is liberty. I love what Galatians 5.13 says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only not use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love, serve one another. This is why it's so important for us not to live by the spirit of the law, but by the spirit of God. Because he's going to give you victory over that flesh. To the point where the flesh is going to say, oh, I, I, nobody talks to me that way. I'm going to let them know. And God says, hey, patience. Because fruit of the spirit is patience. Oh man, they, these people, they, it's like they never change. I don't know what's wrong with my uncle, my brother, my aunt. I don't know what's wrong. They never change. It's like they never learn. You know what? The fruit of the Spirit will do when you're controlled and living in the, in the power of the Spirit of God. You'll put the fruit in you of long-suffering. Suddenly, it's not what is frustrating you anymore. It's what's making you pray for them and love them. No longer now are you disappointed about the wrong circumstances in life because you see the fruit of the Spirit is joy in your life. I'm beginning to experience that personally in my own life more and more. I have, I have found this year and really just through some of the study, I, I found more and more joy just in Christ than I've ever had in my life. Yesterday was the kickoff of college football. And let me tell you, every year, I'm telling you, college football opening day was always like, yes, which one of the games, which are the great games, I, I gotta, I'm going to spend my Saturday, I'm going to watch them, I got to see who's playing, who's good, who's got a, a chance for the national title. But yesterday was very different for me. 
I have to be honest, I, I didn't mind missing, and I missed almost every game. I think I caught the last game that was at 7.30. And I'm not saying, well, it, it, it's because, oh, I'm so spiritual. No, no. <clears throat> I'm just telling you because I've learned to live in the Spirit of God. I feel that the more that I humble myself, the more that I yield myself to the Spirit of God, listen, there's some things that just don't have the attraction like they used to. Things that don't have the control over me like they used to. That's why it's so important. Romans 13, 14 says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. You look at verse 18 in there in 2 Corinthians 3, it says that the Spirit of God works with the Word of God to turn us into the likeness of the Son of God. That's why it's so important to be controlled by the Spirit of God because it makes us live in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and after the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, someone that's living, someone that's living there by the power and, and the Spirit of God, you find the freedom and the liberty from sin from its curse, from its captivity. I want you to notice, secondly, you'll find you'll have liberty to serve. You'll be free to serve. You see, by His Spirit, we can perform His will and do good works. Whereas before we walked in the manner of our former lust, that's what Ephesians uh, chapter 2 says, but now we have a new man in us. We're being renewed by Christ and the Spirit of God that indwells us empowers us and enables us now to go and serve him. You know what? Now when you serve God, you do it with joy. As you, as you serve God under the Spirit, uh, uh, under the power of the Spirit, you find a lot of joy in serving. It's incredible. Um, Friday night, we, we had our kickoff yesterday morning for our Route 66 kids program. And it was great. I mean, everything went really well, and the kids had a lot of fun, and, and it was amazing. But you know, on Friday night, there were people here till 9 o'clock, those that serve in that ministry, getting everything prepared. And they were praying, and they were trying to be uh, very meticulous and making sure that the projects were ready. And, and I thank God that we have some people here that, that have a priority in their life, that, that they're going to serve God with their time and with what they have. And, and it was interesting to me that when I came uh, to lock up there at, at 8.30 that night, I came and I started talking to them, and none of them told me, I can't believe I wasted two hours here. None of them said, I can't believe we're here on Friday night for a bunch of little kids just to, uh, to have, uh, help them have some fun and have a kickoff. None of them told me that. There was probably 10 adults. Some of you were here working that night. None of y'all told me that. They were excited. So, Pastor, it's going to be awesome tomorrow. They had the direct decorations up. They had their program ready. They had printed everything out. They were excited. You know, when you live under the power of the Spirit of God, suddenly there's joy when you serve. You, you have a freedom in serving God that, that is, is unbelievable. You don't have this obligation of, I owe God, or here's the debt that I owe Him. No. It's like, I get to serve Him. When, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, when there's the practice of slavery, and that's been... For all time, let me just say, since sin came into the world, sin is a slave master and it put into the minds of mankind that slavery is something normal and it's not. It's not what God ever intended. But sadly, man, in his fallen state, sees slavery as something that was good. And, and back in the Old Testament, in the time uh, when slavery was just sort of accepted and done, there was a moment 
where a slave who could not pay his debt had to, uh, had to continue serving that master until he paid the debt. But in a year of Jubilee, which was like 49 years, every 49th year, that slave was free to go. Whether he had finished paying the debt or not, he was free to go. But what is interesting is, if the slave master treated that slave very well, then the slave had a choice. The slave could tell the master, I don't want to leave you. And the master said, but, but you have your freedom. And he says, listen, I, I feel more free serving you than if I served myself. And what would happen is that slave master would get a, get a, get a nail and he would poke a hole right here in the, ear, in the ear and they'd put an earring on him. And that earring was to symbolize to everyone else, I'm free, but I choose to serve that master. Do you know when you come into the liberation, freedom of the Spirit of God, you no longer look at God and say, oh God, I owe you this. Oh man, look at all that you've done for me. How am I going to pay you back? All right, let me start the payment plan now. If I give you two hours a week, how long do I have to serve you, God? If I give you two hours a week, if I give you six hours a week, how, how long do I got to do it? You know, that no longer is the motivation. It's not about paying off a debt. It's about who I get to serve. It's about the one who made me free. That motivation, listen, it, it's not deterred by what happens in the circumstances of life. That kind of motivation doesn't matter if I'm losing my house or not. I'm going to church because, listen, I'm free. It's awesome. I love it. Suddenly there's freedom to serve with joy. Uh, Matthew 13, says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, the which, when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. The idea is this. The guy was walking in a field. He found this treasure and he said, this treasure is so much better than what I have. He said, I'm going to go sell everything so I can buy the field. And the law states that whatever is on the field that I buy is mine. And it's worth whatever I give up. He wasn't thinking of, oh man, but I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose my car. I, I'm going to lose my, my good furniture. I, I'm going to lose my lawnmower. I'm going, to, I'm going to lose all this. No, he was thinking about, hey, that is so much better. You know, when you live under the Spirit of God, the freedom that you enjoy is, I get to serve. This is so much better. It brings me so much joy. We find that we are free to serve with joy, but we also are free to serve in harmony. We're free to serve in harmony. There's nothing like being able to serve together in unity and harmony. You see, when there's harmony, everything is better. Have you noticed that when we sing the congregations, if every, uh, congregational songs and hymns, when everybody's singing together, it sounds awesome. But can you imagine if this section over here just started singing whenever they wanted? And this section over here started singing later and singing different words whenever they wanted. And then this section did the same and that did the same. Let me tell you something. This would not be a very enjoyable worship service. We'd be like, this is chaos. I don't like this. This doesn't even sound good. But when everybody's in harmony, oh man, it, it's different, isn't it? Oh man, th th there's something that just moves you. There's something that is just so much better. You know, 
When you're living by the Spirit of God, you, you enjoy the freedom to serve joyfully, but to also serve in harmony. Paul said it this way in Romans 12, 16, Be of the same mind one toward another. That's harmony. Mind not tie things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Paul was talking to the Christians at Rome there saying, listen, let's just be in harmony. If you, if, if you have the Spirit of God living in you, you're going to be in harmony. And then I want you to notice lastly in your notes, the freedom to worship. When you have the Spirit of God living in you, you have the freedom to worship. You see, the act of worship and adoring God is made possible only by the Spirit of God. Worship is the act, and if you need a definition, it's the act in which we exercise our whole being, our soul, spirit, and body in the acts of adoration, praise, giving, confession, receiving, and prayer. Worship is not merely outward forms and ceremonies. That's not what it is. Worship is our whole being to God in praise and adoration, in love and confession. When you're living by the Spirit of God, it's, it's not hard to worship. It's not hard to sing. It's not hard to take your wallet out and adore by giving or your phone now that we have the app. It's not hard to, to do that and just give that way. It's not hard to take a Friday night and be in church till nine o'clock getting stuff ready for the next day. It's just not hard because it's an act of worship. You see, the Bible teaches us that we worship both individually and corporately. God has given us the freedom to worship Him in our home as well as in our church. Worship should not take a place in either or. It should take place in both. It's not, well, I worship at home or I worship at church. No, the Bible teaches we need to worship uh, in church and we need to worship at, at home. I like what John 4 21 says, and it's the story when Jesus was talking with the Samaritan woman. He, he said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Then he says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You know what Jesus was telling the Samaritan woman? Hey, there's going to be a time where people are going to be able to live in the freedom of the Spirit of God. Because see, where the Spirit of God is, there is liberty. And with that liberty, let me tell you something, you're going to be able to worship anywhere. You don't have to worship in this mountain. You're not going to have to go and worship in Jerusalem. Let me tell you, you can worship anywhere. The freedom to come to God and worship at any place and at any time. And then you'll find that you can worship Him through different means. You'll find there in this freedom, you worship God through different means. You say, what do you mean by that? Let me just give you two thoughts and we'll close. Number one, we worship Him in music. Do you know that music many times expresses what words cannot fully do? Though we sing with the words, the music will oftentimes stay with us longer than the words themselves. Have you ever found that? You'll be singing a song here at, at church or you'll sing some songs in youth and and sometimes the words, you can remember them, sometimes you don't, but you, you always remember that music. There's something about that music that just unlocks something in your soul. It's just a, a very powerful form of worship. And it brings us to a greater relationship with, uh, with Jesus Christ, with the, the Holy Spirit in our life. And this is why we practice it every Sunday. 
Why do we got to sing every Sunday? Because there's something about that music and worshiping that way that just brings us closer. It's part of the freedom that we have in the Spirit of God. Now, we want to exercise that freedom. You can, you can, free, uh, you, you can worship Him uh, through music. And Ephesians 5, uh, 18 and 19, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Paul said this is a way of our freedom. And then I want you to notice that you can also worship not only uh, by singing and music, but you worship Him by giving. There's no worship without giving. We must be willing and ready to worship in this manner at all times and in all things. We ought to worship Him financially, lovingly, cheerfully. We ought to worship Him with our time. We ought to worship Him with our family. We ought to worship Him in anything that we can give. Because giving is an act of worship in a form of worship. Matthew 2.11 says, And when they were come, this is the wise men, into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And it says, And when they opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Even when Christ was just coming to this earth, there were those that chose to go and worship him through giving. This morning, we have all kinds of freedom. We have freedom from sin through the Spirit of God. We have, we have freedom to worship as God has made it possible. We have freedom. For where the Spirit of God is, there is liberty. There truly is no living that compares to a life that is living free. Nobody in a bar is going to tell me they're having more fun than me. Nobody in a sports arena is going to tell me there's more fun than serving God, than being free from sin. Nobody's going to tell me there's more fun than worshiping God. There ain't. There ain't. You see, because that's true freedom. He said, well, I don't always feel that. You don't because you're battling our, our flesh. <laughs> but let me tell you, when the Spirit takes over, there's comfort there, there's love, there's, there's nothing that can, that can compare. I ask you this morning, how are you doing? Are you living free? Is the Christian life to you a life of freedom? You say, I'd like it to be. Well, then have the Spirit of God take control in your life. Where the Spirit of God is, there is liberty. Right on the entrance of the camp in Auschwitz, Germany, a concentration camp where many Jews were, were slaughtered in the most horrific of ways, there was a, a phrase that was right there as you go into the camp. And it was a German phrase that said, work makes free. And it was a bold-faced lie. They were telling the Jews in that camp, if you just do enough work for us, we'll let you free one day. But there was no freedom to be found. In fact, those that they said, well, you earned your freedom, they would take them and then torture them. You know, a life that is not lived in the Spirit of God is the very same way. You might think working makes free, but it doesn't. 
For where the Spirit of God is, there is liberty. I pray that you can, I can experience that kind of freedom in our life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And well, what a great truth it is to understand that there is freedom found in you by your Spirit. Father, we're not going to find it in what we do. We're not going to find it in our righteous acts, but we will find it by your Spirit. And this morning, I pray that as we, um, as we look at our own lives, I pray that you would help us to see if we have that freedom. Help us to know if we're living in that freedom. And help us to see if that freedom is what is bringing us joy in our life. If we're missing joy, if we're missing the liberty that you give. I pray that we would apply this message. I pray that we would remember what the Spirit of God gives us and that we would live in that freedom. Father, thank you once again for your word. I pray that you would bless it. I pray that your Spirit would speak to the hearts of those that hear it and that we would apply it in their lives. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we stand to our feet, what a wonderful challenge on living free. As we stand to